0: Welcome to Parallel Quest, a podcast where two friends talk about the stories we love and share our personal stories of the impact they've had on our lives. I am one of your hosts, Cody Haggard, and across the internet from me, my great friend, co-host, author, and weekly newsletter writer, Zach Butler. Zach, how are you doing today? Well,
1: I'm cooking a little bit in this room today, man. It's a toasty one, yeah. It's another scorcher here in... Western Pennsylvania, here in Pittsburgh, and I'm pretty sure this room's around 80 degrees. So, Ooh, that's... I probably got a nice sheen of sweat
0: going on my forehead <laughs> right now. That is toasty, man. I yeah, I got I got out of work today, and it's cold in the room that I work in, and I wore like sweatpants and a sweatshirt today. And I got outside and it was like 90 degrees and I got in my car, it's like 98 degrees. I swear I like turned into a mozzarella stick, you know, (laughs) in my, I'm like all gooey inside my, my sweatsuit I had on. It was a, it was a rough uh, drive until that AC kicked on, Mm, Uh, which even still on days like today, it's hard for it to keep up with, but. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Today we're talking about Spider-Man 2002. We're going to discuss a little bit about She-Hulk and whether or not it's legitimately being review-bombed. We'll go over some Steel Lake Studios stuff with you guys. But to start off, Zach, let's jump into... You had texted me about wanting to talk about She-Hulk. Now, I will come out and say I haven't watched it yet. I haven't viewed it, but I've seen clips of it, and I just know... That it isn't for me. It's it's just I can tell by the marketing and everything I'm seeing like this isn't a show that was made for me. So instead of like watching it and trying to keep up with the Joneses and the MCU, I'm just gonna skip it. Uh, yeah. But you want to talk about She-Hulk and uh, review bombing and you know what's genuine and what's disingenuous in the review process. So so what are you what are you thinking about this? And have you watched it? Yeah, so what, I have not watched it. Okay. I have not watched
1: She-Hulk yet. I'm kind of in the same camp as you. I don't think this is a show made for my interests. I'm not really a huge Hulk fan in general, so having the Hulk as a female be a lawyer just really it's kind of like um the second Thor movie. You know, it's a niche within a niche. Mm-hmm. And if you if you're a fan of those niches you're going to love it. And if you're not, that's just kind of how I view She-Hulk. So, but the, the the larger thing that I'm seeing right now is not whether She-Hulk is good or bad. It's whether She-Hulk is getting review bombed. And by that, I mean people are intentionally going on to IMDb, going on to Rotten Tomatoes, wherever they're doing reviews and intentionally giving it a low score. And this is kind of the big claim right now. This is the big stink happening with She-Hulk. Not not much, honestly, is getting talked about whether it is a good show. Um, it's more of the war on review bombing. And I found this interesting because currently right now, the She-Hulk is the lowest rated one-star show in the MCU universe of all time. And... An article was written saying that it is getting review bombed. This is the narrative coming out of Marvel, coming out of the studio, that this is not legitimate. This is just some angry fans just, you know, crapping on everyone's parade. This is a good show. You know, we should we should all be watching it. Don't look at the reviews because it's not a genuine review. And I found this interesting because this this kind of happened With, I believe it was the Obi Wan show as well. And it came out and it had pretty low score. And we, you and I did the whole review of it. Mm -hmm. We went through the show. We were kind of like, the first, at least for the first four episodes, who? Yeah. It was looking, it was looking dire. It was looking pretty rough. And so I understood the reviews. I was like, yeah, of course, this is a one or two star show. This is not really that good. But, the way Disney was trying to spin the show and the actors and Ewan McGregor even was trying to spin the show is these are people that are review bombing because they don't like certain characters. They don't like, you know, they were trying to make it a little bit political and their larger point was this is just review bombing. This is not a bad show. This is not what everyone's saying it is. And so I don't know. It's just, we're in an age now where, (laughs) you feel like you can't trust anything anymore it's (laughs) true it's really true yeah like it's it's it has gone from political and government institutions into now the shows that we watch and i can't even get on imdb or rotten tomatoes without knowing if this is a legitimate score or if this is a legitimate audience score for a show that i want to watch and so I wonder. I, I wanted to just bring up the the topic of, of trustworthiness in our review processes. I know for a long time, I mean, at least with Hollywood Oscar type movies, it was kind of like it, it, it's a closed club yeah. with those kind of movies. Like, there certain movies are selected by an elite group of people, regardless if it actually is the best movie, but by audience standards of the year but you know certain movies get selected and then they get voted upon by an even smaller group of people i never get to vote on a movie Mm -mm. so i it's it's a weird world that we're living in and so how do you navigate you know this whole review bombing and understanding what's good and what's bad in in our world of
0: media today yeah i'm gonna answer you in a sec i gotta i gotta tell the boys to get out of here they're being super loud Got it. We will be right back. Take a drink of water, grab a snack and relax. Zach and Cody will be back to talk more on nerd things. Thank you. I am back. So I actually have a lot of thoughts on this because I think that there are basically two wrongs not making a right going on right here I think that Hollywood, the movie and TV show making business is at fault with a lot of things that they've done and I believe disingenuous review bombing is not really fair to something, I think you should judge it on its own merits But I think that fans are just so ticked off going into a lot of this stuff because of how they're treated by executives and creatives behind these multi million dollar movies and shows. And I think it all kind of roots from, because I've been doing, I've been working on a video about. basically the last five years what has happened in fandom since the last jedi till now and and it's almost like as the country got extreme uh on the political spectrum it also you know got radicalized in fandom where it's like Mm. you know you either stood with the last jedi or you were totally against it You know, and if you were against it, you were a toxic fan. And if you were for it, you were a shill for Disney. And it's like (laughs) this is this isn't healthy, right? Like we need to legitimately be able to give a bad review for something in a good faith argument. Right. Like on my review scaling, I've gone from one out of 10 in doing everything from one to five now. Because basically, if you're if I'm at a three, I think it was acceptable and worth my time. Anything mm. above that means like it was really good. Anything below that means like they needed to go back to the drawing board. Or if you're a one out of five, you really missed, right? So anyway, with the review bombing, I think that it's it it's really disingenuous for these studios to come out and just blame review bombing for their failures. Because what they can what they can do is they, they can debunk the argument. Release your numbers. How many hours of watch time do you have? Because mm. I don't care what they want to blame or say or whatever. I still think the amount of people who go to reviews first and watch something is relatively small to people who will watch a trailer and then watch the show or movie. Like, I, I still think, like, traditional marketing is how you get most people. I really do. I I believe that, and especially in a culture that, in in a world, we don't really want the story to be spoiled. So you look at a review, you're kind of risking that. And, like, at least for me as a, you know, a 31-year-old man with a full-time job, like, the barrier of entry for me to, you know, pay to watch a movie or a show is like so low compared to like the cost of (laughs) like everything else in life. Like (laughs) I'm, I'm willing to roll the dice, right? Like Mm -hmm. I'll roll the dice on a movie or a show for like the really low barrier to entry. Now, like going and seeing a professional sports team, that's bad. That's a totally different, you know, scenario, right? Like you're talking (laughs) about really expensive tickets to be disappointed. I think that the barrier to entry is so low, but I think a lot of the review bombing doesn't come from people being totally disingenuous. I think it comes from like an act of revenge because I think what fans want, ultimately, at the Mm. end of the day, what fans want from these movie businesses and these TV businesses is, number one, to just make good movies and shows, but number two... I do think that, at least for me as a fan, I want everybody who is involved in the making of a movie or a show to just realize and embrace, like, I am so fortunate and so lucky. I'm just going to be glad to be here. I'm not here to preach at you. I'm not here to try and prop myself up on a pedestal and act like I'm a better person than you. Because legitimately... Like, just enjoy the ride. You know, enjoy being yeah. an actor. We don't want you to be a political activist. We don't want you to, you know, talk about toxic fans. You, you know, honestly, I want people in the movie and TV business to be able to have tough skin and just take it on the chin. Because that's way more respectable than saying, like, you know, racism, review bombing, you know, all the things that yeah. get thrown at fans. Like, just to imagine if these studios just took it on the chin in just kind of respectfully interacted with fans, if that could change the narrative. Because the people with the power are the ones with the money, you know? Like, review yeah. bombing isn't going to tank Disney. It's not going to sink Marvel, you know? So, you know, take it on the chin. Be like, okay, well, we hear what people are saying, but we feel like we really made a good show here. And Yeah, Release the numbers if you if it is so good. Release the numbers, and that's the thing. No one releases their watch hours or anything like that because they want you know they want you to watch whatever they're recommending. But you know you can mm-hmm. debunk the argument. Hey, if it's getting review bombed, but people are watching it, release the numbers. But they won't because I, I I just don't think She Hulk is an appealing show. I, I I think it is a I think it's a desire for. Disney and Marvel to want to branch out and make different types of stuff but like let's be completely honest it's just not what people want from the MCU at least not in the realm of what they've delivered you know it's yeah it's just different you know I mean I Honestly, the people who want to go home and relax and watch an episode of The Good Wife are much different than people who want to go home and watch, you know, Iron Man beat up bad guys. Like those are those are two very different experiences. And you're kind of you know mashing up legal drama and comedy with superheroes. And to me, it just comes across as like totally tacky. Uh, But that's just that was that's my opinion having not watched a second of the show hmm yeah
1: and just to give some context so she hulk is currently sitting at a 5.1 out of 10 on imdb and actually doing pretty well on rotten tomatoes the average tomometer is eighty-eight percent, and the average audience score is seventy-eight. So it's doing a lot better on there. Granted, they could be deleting <laughs> reviews, though. I think once that's what I was going to say. Granted, there is that conspiracy. There is that you know side of it of they could just be deleting it. I know with some of these bigger intellectual properties and in movies that they really want to ha- be successful, critics will often give them high reviews even though if you ask them personally like they'd be like "Eh, it was it was okay best but yeah they're in the pocket
0: i mean disney's in their pocket
1: but i was looking through some of these reviews on imdb and like there are a lot of one and two and three stars but they're not just a one star and this sucks or once two stars and i hate mcu i mean these are pretty well written and paragraphs upon paragraphs of actual reviews. And a lot of them have complaints about the character development. A lot of them have complaints about how poorly written the show is. Um, Like, to me, just from a preliminary review here, these are legitimate reviews. Like, these aren't just people review bombing. And so I think, I I agree with a lot of what you said, probably 99% of it. I think it is a combination of audience members angry just immediately going into you I mean you've done videos on it already we've talked about it on the podcast i mean even going into lord of the rings like mm-hmm. just the the anger surrounding some of these shows coming out before we've even seen an episode we've mm-hmm. seen trailers mm-hmm. and we're already having an opinion about it and that's just kind of I'd, sadly the day and age we live in that's just how yeah. the internet the the life we live now with the internet is lends itself to these wildly emotional strong opinions before knowing anything about it and it happens Mm -hmm. all the time and she hulk and obi-wan and lord of the rings are not immune to that audience reaction yeah but at the same time, studios are giving them a lot of fodder. They are yeah. really yeah. dropping the ball on a lot of these TV shows. And it's kind of hard after seeing some of the shows like, not to agree with the audience. Like, They have a point. These shows are probably too long, probably spent way too much money on stuff that doesn't need to be in the show, when in reality these could have been movies honestly but in an age where every studio owns its own streaming service and they need to put content on there and they need to have content coming out all the time you start getting into the territory where you're not creating good stories you're just creating stuff to put onto your streaming service and then telling people that it's good and hiding the fact that it's bad yeah and I've seen that this has kind of been the year 2022. It's kind of been the year of just disappointing shows. Yeah. Um, across all all studios, you go from Paramount to Disney to Ed pick one. I oh, mean, geez, they've Paramount. all... Halo. <laughs> yeah, Paramount <laughs> has, has really <laughs> dug themselves <laughs> into a hole. But I, I mean, even Amazon with Wheel of Time, like it was just like... Ah, this has got potential. It's okay at best. Yeah. So, like, even they are not immune
0: to to the audience yeah. ire that is happening. And, and we're so, recording this episode before Rings of Power comes out, and it'll yes. come. This episode will come out after Rings of Power comes out. So, who who knows? Yeah. Honest. Honestly, I can tell you right now, Rings of Power could be a solid. Like, objectively, could be a solid nine out of ten. And there's just a lot of people who are going to hate it no matter what for some right reasons, some wrong reasons. Mm. I I think I think Amazon has if I were to give them a score on marketing rings of power, I would give them a D. Uh, I wouldn't give them totally an F because, you know, some of the trailer shots Mm. have been good. But as far as like understanding Tolkien fans, understanding how to approach how they should market this and talk about this. uh, Yeah, total D. Oof. yeah I, i'm not like saying that the show is going to be bad i'm just saying mm-hmm. marketing wise uh they've dropped the ball wow yeah. yeah i mean we we will see how that goes but
1: yeah i want i want to get back to a time when we didn't have review bombs or theories of review bombing mm-hmm. and when you could just go in and see a trailer and get excited yeah. or be like, I'm not going to see that. And you'd read an honest review yeah, uh, in the newspaper. And it would just be like yeah. a guy that's saw the movie. and was like, here's my thoughts. You go and see it. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be this collusion of writers and critics that are paid off by studios yeah. to give their movies good reviews. And it, it's just, it's just sad when a studio immediately calls out the fans
0: for review bombing it, them, it needs it needs to stop. These huge companies, you got to stop blaming fans. You, you mm-hmm. these are multi billion dollar companies. Like, let the person who's working a nine to five, making fifteen bucks an hour, have their moment of disappointment because they just want to <laughs> go home and enjoy a show, and you're just not making anything they like. You know, yeah. like just just. Just like be like, all right, all right, we're missing the audience here. And try to rediscover instead of just blaming fans like for being yeah. toxic or whatever. You know, and these these same companies, these same companies are the parent companies of things like Fox News and CNN, which are just gaslighting these same people all the time, <laughs> like training them to get angry all the time. It's like, hey, yeah. maybe reel in your news media and then you won't be creating all these angry people all the time, and maybe they'll like your entertainment division a little more. Like, yeah. like you know what I'm saying? You know, these, yeah. these same people who are just you know saying review bomb, review bomb, review bomb, also have like a news outlet of their company where they're like enraging these people all night long. And it's yeah. just
1: like you can't.
0: And then are confused have, when they come after them. You can't have it both
1: ways, you know? Like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Everyone's just got to take the temperature down a yeah. little bit. Stop accusing the fans. But I, I saw that with She-Hulk, and I was like, we got to talk about this yeah. because this is the second show that has come out that has been accused of either deleting comments or have they? They just took the offensive route and said we're 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 getting reviewed, bomb. This is not a bad show. Where it's yeah. like, eh, I don't know. I haven't watched it. I probably won't watch it if you know you're listening to this and you have watched she hulk and it's amazing please write to us um let us know what you actually think and what you think of our opinion of review yeah. bombing maybe you're someone that's like no i don't think they are getting review bombed or maybe you are someone that thinks they're getting review bombed but let us know you can yeah. head over to steel Lake studio.com hit that community tab let us know while you're over there sign up for the newsletter the bi-weekly newsletter mm-hmm. we just had one come out uh the week that we're recording this so um I don't know where this is going to fall. August 29th. Yeah, so August 29th. So wherever this falls, you may be in an off week, but just know that they come out every two weeks. Mm-hmm. So you'll uh, you'll get that soon <clears throat> enough. But, Cody, I think it's time to actually head back to, in our minds, a more peaceful time. A, a time, well, maybe not more peaceful, but a time where the
0: internet wasn't all up in arms about ev- literally everything. 2002. 2002, all right. Jake, boot up the Wayback Machine and send us back to 2002. Hello, Zach and Cody. Please keep all hands and feet inside the Time Machine at all times. Here we are, wonderful. Here we are, getting off, getting off the way back machine in 2002. And the first thing we're going to start off with is a a potentially incredible opening sequence for a political espionage film. In 2002, Vice President Dick Cheney served as acting president for two and a half hours while George W. Bush underwent a medical procedure. So. Dick Cheney was the official U.S. president for two and a half hours during 2002. But as I was reading this, I was like, "Man, what? What a great, what a great opening to like a political espionage story. President has to go under for like a back surgery or whatever, and then this is like the vice president's opportunity to basically pull out all the stops to take over the United States and turn it into like a dictatorship or something. Like, oh my get, gosh, get like get real crazy with it, right?" Yeah. Um, Yeah. Kiefer Sutherland would totally be in that. Yeah. Yeah. be Great. In fact, just make him Jack Bauer. And, you know, (laughs) that's Jack Bauer's return story, right? He has to overthrow the vice president who wants to become a dictator. Like, there it is. There we go. Give us the rights. And we'll make that happen. (laughs) There we go. And then another incident happened in 2002 that Michael Bay would be excited about. An asteroid the size of a football field nearly collided with the Earth only missed colliding by about seventy-five thousand miles now that yes is a lot of miles in comparison to you know how big the earth is but as far as like how big space is that's pretty darn close like mm-hmm. you know yeah. that, you know the trajectory could change by like a, a degree of an angle and have collided with the earth that's pretty crazy <laughs> yeah that is nuts i mean that's like just missing a putt on a golf course yeah yeah, (laughs) that's how close that is in an asteroid the size of a football field man that's a pretty big asteroid that's significant yeah that's i mean it's not a good start to 2002 maybe i was wrong of coming back to a more gentler time (laughs) don't worry it gets better the internet was not nearly used as much in 2002 the average internet user only used the web for about forty-six minutes a day. I think wow. that I have used forty-six minutes a day of the internet. You know, on you know between my breaks at work. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. during work sometimes. Just, and, wow. And the most searched terms on the internet in two thousand two: Star Wars, which makes sense. Attack of the Clones mm-hmm. came out in two thousand two. Spider Man, which makes sense because Spider Man came out in two thousand two. And Shakira. Those creepy yeah. internet. Those creepy internet users looking up Hips Shakira. Don't lie, Hips don't lie. Yeah, I'm sure it came out. Came out around there. Lie. Yeah, she's uh like she's getting team looked at on the internet for different team. reasons
1: <laughs> today. <laughs> these days. <laughs>
0: Still getting looked uh, for. And now I have some trivia questions for you, Zach. See if you'll be okay. able to answer these about 2002. And I wrote these notes up a couple days ago, so hopefully I remember the answers. Um, Spider Man. Was the highest-grossing movie at the box office in the United States? However, it was not the highest-grossing movie in the world. Can you name which one was? Two thousand two. I.
1: Mm, I am gonna go
0: with. I'm gonna go with Star Wars. I'm go with Star Wars, Tech. That is a good guess. It was a top five. However, Lord of the Rings of Two Towers was the oh, highest grossing movie nice. of 2002. I don't uh, remember. It was 2002, 2003. I believe, it was, I believe it was Two Towers, Chamber of Secrets, or no, maybe Sorcerer's Stone. One of the Harry Potter movies. Um, Two Towers, whatever Harry Potter movie, Spider-Man, and then uh, Attack of the Clones. Next. That makes sense. Next question: In 2002, which controversial video game was the highest selling of that year? I'm gonna say GTA 4. GTA One. Whoa, whoa! Four is way beyond that. Oh okay. yeah. GTA. Now, if you're saying the fourth GTA game ever made, that would be correct. But do you know okay. the subtitle? Um, 2002 would have been Vice City. Good job. You got yes. it right. There it is. Grand Theft Auto Vice City, which I, of course, uh, was not allowed to have, but I definitely played. <laughs> I definitely <laughs> played it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Didn't own a PlayStation, but played it a lot at my friend's house. Yep, yep, yep. Alright final trivia question What groundbreaking television show Launched in 2002 That would continue to make Talent based competition trend For years to come Hmm 2002 Talent based competition oh, I mean is that American Idol American Idol you are correct Two out of three in the trivia section that is very good. Yeah, I tried to I tried to like write it in such a way that I could avoid using the word singing cuz I knew you'd get it super easy if I said singing mm. competition. But uh, good job, man, on the trivia Big questions. Kid. And now it is time to give a plot summary of the wonderful movie directed by Sam Raimi starring Toby Maguire. It is none other than 2002's version of Spider-Man. Peter Parker. He's a bit of a nerd in social and social oh let me start this. One. Jake, we gotta start. You gotta edit this. I gotta really nail this. I, I I wrote my script wrong, so let's start it up. Nope, but good luck. Peter Parker is a bit of a nerd and social outcast, finishing up his senior year in high school in the beautiful Queens, New York. While on a class field trip, he is bitten by a radioactive spider that gives him all sorts of superhuman abilities that have an arachnid nature. And wanting to impress the girl next door, Mary Jane Watson, he enters in a local wrestling tournament in order to get some quick cash so he can purchase a sweet ride. In this tournament he is given his iconic name of Spider-Man and comes out victorious against the one and only Bonesaw played by none other than Randy Macho Man Savage. However, he is ripped off from his full prize because of the event organizer that said he ended the cage match too quickly. He needed to last for three minutes, but he pinned him in two. An armed robber comes in, stealing the rest of the prize money from the event organizer, and Peter lets him go in order to get a little bit of revenge on the man who ripped him off. But this would turn out to be a catastrophic decision. The robber would go on to steal a vehicle, a vehicle that belonged to Peter's Uncle Ben, whom was shot in the process of the crime. Peter gets his revenge on the criminal but makes a vow to himself to live by some of the final words of his uncle Ben, keeping in mind that great power comes that with great power comes great responsibility. Peter leans fully into becoming Spider-Man, a friendly neighborhood hero who attempts to get rid of crime on the streets while trying to balance life in college and getting some cash along the way by delivering photos to none other than J. Jonah Jameson. In the midst of his well-intended pursuit to become a hero, Peter finds himself in circumstances that lead to being a much bigger hero for the city of New York than he initially intended, requiring him to take down a huge threat to society in battling the menacing Green Goblin. It is... it is in this adventure that Peter needs to learn to balance his life as a young college student, his relationships with friends, and how to properly take down a supervillain who also happens to be the father of his best friend. That is 2002 Spider-Man in a Nutshell. done, man. Ah, oh, that took me back. I actually own
1: this movie. Oh, very nice. On DVD, and... It was one of like three movies my brother and I had that we watched on long car trips. So I, I'd like hearing you say it, I was like, oh, I remember all this. Like it was, it's an incredible movie, but man, do I remember? I watched this movie so much when I was a kid. <laughs>
0: Boone saw is ready. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is one of the best scenes ever. Love and what too. I loved about this movie, man, is like you could see the slight horror elements in it that Sam Raimi is so famous for with his evil and we talked about this with our multiverse of madness brief review of that that he he's a horror director at heart but he also is a huge comic nerd and so he mm-hmm. loves marvel he loves these heroes and you can really see that with the green goblin scenes where you have these like kind of horror elements and the way the camera moves and mm-hmm. it, you, you get that like claustrophobic feeling yeah. whenever you have um Harry Osborn wrestling Mm -hmm. with the Green Goblin side of him. Oh, yeah. And I mean, Willem Dafoe is an incredible actor. Oh, yeah. So you have him as the Green Goblin. He's does such a good job. But I I actually before we get into our initial initial impact. So I did some research like on this. Um, I was reading a vanity uh, interview about the making of this movie because 2002 was a time a dark time for comic movies and Mm -hmm. superhero movies in general we came off a lot of unsuccessful superhero movies you had uh batman forever or whatever the not batman forever what's the one with um, batman and robin batman and robin was terrible Mm -hmm. you had just a streak of superman was over for the time Mm -hmm. being with x-men came out in 2000 to i think mixed reception yeah the og yeah first x-men came out it was iffy you had the end of superman you had a bad batman and robin movie so you had this pot of really stinky uh superhero movies and so when sam Remy saw that they wanted to make this movie he told his agent hey get me an interview with the producers I want to I wanna make this movie. And his agent was like, Sam, you are one of 19 people. And you are actually number 19 on their list of people that they want to direct this movie. <laughs> He's like, I don't care. I want to go in there. Just let me get in front of them. I'll talk to them. And so he goes in. And apparently he was super, super nervous. And he gets in front of these producers from all these different studios. And they ask him, why do you want to direct... Spider-Man, And he goes on to tell them for about 30 minutes just how much he loved Spider-Man, how he used to draw him in, in notebooks as a kid, how he had posters, how he really liked Peter Parker and he felt like Peter Parker. And then he stopped just in the middle of explaining how much he loved S- Spider-Man just stopped. He said, OK, thank you for considering me and just walked out. And <laughs> apparently the producers were like, what, what is going on? Tell us more. But he said that he knew how much their time, like how valuable their time was and that they were considering 18 other people before him. So he didn't want to take up any more of their time. He just was like, I want to get in there. I want to tell him how much I love Spider-Man. And then just left. <laughs> just awesome. abruptly ended the interview. <laughs> That's so great. That's what yeah. probably got him the job. Yeah. And so they gave him the job. They're like, this guy loves spider-man he wants to he will do the the job that we want him to do and so they apparently took a huge risk that was the whole point of the article was it was kind of a big risk on the studios to invest in spider-man because of how unsuccessful superhero movies have been and so they also had i think who was i think it was james cameron was really interested in making this movie as well and actually had given them a a blend of a script and a treatment. And so they actually took that script Mm -hmm. that he had written for them and pieced it together to what we finally see in the movie. And so a lot of people were big name
0: directors at the time were super interested in this movie And good thing James Cameron didn't. It probably would be coming out just about like now. Now, yeah. We, yeah.
1: (laughs) The first Spider Man.
0: Yeah. But I mean, they, they
1: took a big risk. They had big names interested in it. Sam Remy, who was at the time kind of a relatively low tier Mm -hmm. director known for making campy horror movies directing a superhero movie it was just kind of this weird mix of a lot mm-hmm. of different people and they loved the direction that he took it and um, mm-hmm. they loved his mixture of the the mixture of taking an adolescent boy and having him become spider-man but also move through things that adolescent boys mm-hmm. deal with yeah as, as at at that age with with love with living at home with school and bullies Mm -hmm. best friends like it's very much a a, you identify with peter so much because they made him such a relatable character and that was sam remy's big thing was like i need to make him seem like just a super normal guy that is also this Mm -hmm. freaky spider guy at like at night and so Yeah, I thought that was interesting that this this whole idea of Spider-Man, which ended up being a massive success in 2002, mm-hmm. um and kicking off a a pretty good franchise. At least kicking off the love of Spider-Man. Like this bond <laughs> Spider-Man for Toby Maguire and mm-hmm. Andrew Garfield and now Tom Holland, like this this kind of started it all. Yeah. Um and it was all kind of a roll of the dice. Yeah.
0: Really. Yeah, I I mean I love I love that story, and I agree with the rolling of the dice. And, and this movie is it's super important. If you are a big MCU fan, the MCU exists because of this movie. Um, mm. Maybe that might seem like a stretch to some, but you know. And I did just look it up. Actually, X Men was a, a pretty big success. It was both critically and uh, critically acclaimed and liked by audiences. But with those two back to back coming out being successful. That's why bigger risks were able to be taken down the road. And even still, like, you know, we did our whole thing on all the MCU, like getting the rubber stamp on the Marvel Cinematic Universe was an uphill battle. And that's why it's so sad now to see them kind of coasting, you know, Um, which I get it. You know, you, you succeed, you get to the top and, you know, where else do you have to go? But yeah, yeah, super important movie here. But Zach, I, I want to know, your first time seeing this, what is your initial impact? When did you see it for the first time? Were you a kid? Were you older? And walking away from this, was it something you, you initially loved or didn't connect with as much? Um, so I saw this
1: uh, when I was 12. I saw it in 2002. And we would go to this movie theater in, in town. It was this old, it was called the Lincoln Theater. It's not there anymore.
0: Shout out to the Lincoln Theater.
1: But we would go to this old time theater and it was awesome, man. I saw so many movies. I actually saw all the Lord of the Rings, actually the first two Lord of the Rings movies there. And I think I've I've talked about this theater maybe in, in one of our past podcasts, but I'll, I'll kind of say it all again. It's one of those theaters when you walk in, it is the old school box office with the guy that sits in like the one box office and has Mm -hmm. the two windows out the sides and then you walk in and it's this old greasy buttery (laughs) popcorn machine that's cranking out just things of popcorn and there's like two people working there and then you get into the actual theater and the theater was a mixture of a stage and an actual movie theater mm-hmm. so <clears throat> i think it was built as a, a theater theater like for plays and yeah. then they later put a big screen on there and did movies yeah. and so you walk down and like i always remember this everything was sticky like mm-hmm. that Dang yeah, Cook yeah, yeah. joke like <laughs> everything's just sticky in a movie theater and especially this one just the aisles <laughs> the like going up and down the aisles is always sticky and so and then you get into your chair and there's the old squeaky chair not what we have today where it's you know (laughs) basically a couch in a movie theater (laughs) (laughs) this this was the old school chair where you sat in it for too long you could feel your legs going numb that kind of chair and you'd sit you'd sit down and you'd just Every chair squeaked in there and you squeak back and you get ready to watch. And in this case, Spider-Man. I went and saw it with my dad and I remember being blown away by and I didn't know the terms at the time, but by the cinematography of Mm -hmm. it, just how they were able to film someone swinging through Mm -hmm. New York City. In the fight sequences, there's these acrobatic scenes. And then, of course, the kiss scene between Spider Man (laughs) and Mary Jane, which would go on to be the Teen Choice Award Best Kiss (laughs) of the Year. Which apparently Toby McGuire came out later and said it was the worst kiss he's ever had because when they were filming it it was raining or they had the rain machines going and all yeah. the rain was going up his nose oh. and into his mouth and he's like, I actually couldn't breathe <laughs> during that scene. But ended up winning the award, which was awesome. But I I was so excited leaving that theater because I, I liked Spider-Man, I liked comics, I liked I watched the Saturday morning comics with my dad or the mm-hmm. Saturday morning cartoons with my dad. But at that time it was it was that time where we were young, we were young enough that TV shows especially Saturday morning cartoons were still putting on older cartoons. Like I remember mm-hmm. Transformers being on and I yeah. remember older Batman's being on. And so stuff that like my dad would have watched mm-hmm. growing up were still played or like at least the updated versions of that and so i enjoyed cartoons i just didn't really get into them super heavily whereas now it's just like it cartoons slash marvel superheroes are just a a mass appeal like Mm -hmm. everybody loves it everyone has something superhero related Mm -hmm. on their shelf or whatever but at that time it was you know that we didn't really have much of that and so walking out of that theater i was like man i really need to start reading some comics and i really need to start getting more into cartoons and i want to say this is probably the genesis of my curiosity of not only comics but then graphic novels as i you know the adult version of comic books essentially (laughs) (laughs) um but that's i started getting interested in that stuff because i really loved the Spider-Man mm-hmm. movie and I remember sitting there and even though I was 12 I really identified with Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. Um I really felt his struggles. I wasn't bullied in high school but like I I recognized and felt that. More so his like very innocent relationship with Mary Jane. How they yeah. were just like the next-door neighbors that were friends and she was in a bad situation with her parents and I really felt that. And I I just remember sitting and identifying a lot with his life situation. Mm -hmm. And so, and I think that's the mark of an extremely well-written script Mm -hmm. is you can get people to emotionally feel what your character is feeling. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that, that my initial impact was sitting in the Lincoln theater and (laughs) watching Spider-Man and being blown away by Honestly, pr- probably a terrible sound system at the time, <laughs> but still super
0: into it. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, that was the initial impact for me. I'm, I am with you, man. That I just when I went to see this movie, I was transported into New York City. I, I was, I was witnessing Spider Man swinging through the streets of New York. You know, clinging onto the buildings, and I just remember, like as a kid, just being mm. so impressed. That this worked because because you're used to seeing Spider-Man and all the superheroes. And even though even though we got X-Men right in 2000, which was a movie I liked as a kid and and had probably seen, you know, half a dozen times before I saw Spider-Man. It just didn't feel as much of like a true adaptation because the X-Men in the movie didn't look like the X-Men in the show right like or the comic books right they had different Mm. outfits it was definitely more modernized i think i think overall it worked better for the film than you know if you have the the blue and yellow x-men outfits i think it would have been maybe a little (laughs) bit uh a little bit off-putting in the early (laughs) 2000s i think it could work now in like the modern state of film but in 2000 it was a little more grounded But really just like with my experience with Spider-Man was watching the Saturday morning cartoons and I remember being so excited for this movie that I was trying to figure out how could I read the Spider-Man comics. And so I had gone into the library one day just to see if they had comics and they had the like the omnibus editions of the Spider-Man series the Amazing Spider-Man and i believe each i believe each omnibus was like 40 issues so these things were huge like yeah and i remember at my local library i got like i think i got over the first hundred issues. I I read whatever the whole like first wave of Omnibus collection was. And to this yeah. day, it's the comic book that I've read more than any other. Like the original run of The Amazing Spider-Man. And to this day, like he's Spider-Man is still the character who I I kind of can connect with the most. I think it's Marvel's best character. I think Peter Parker yeah. is Marvel's best character. Overall character. I think Wolverine is Marvel's coolest character. And Peter Parker is like the most relatable character. But this movie comes out. And I remember just like my dad and I went to see it in theaters. And I just thought it was so cool that my dad, who was a fully grown man, my dad, right? just loving a superhero movie just as much as I did, right? Because mm. he grew up with Spider-Man. He and his brothers grew up with with the the comics. And so I thought it was really neat to kind of have that experience. And it's movies like Spider-Man, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, these films that were so important to us growing up because not not just that they were great for us, but they had just like cross-generational appeal and they connected... Yeah you know, parents to their children. And um, I look forward to seeing what the movies are for my kids of that age because they're still in the stage where they're, like, into the kids' movies, right? Mm -hmm. So we haven't gotten to the stage where there's any connection built there. But I'm sure for, like, you know, Gen Z, the connection was the MCU, you know, with their parents and them. And so, like, that was what Spider-Man 2002 was for, for me. It was, like, a movie that connected me with my dad and I thought that was pretty cool. And that's
1: so awesome because that was a conversation I know that the producers had before making this movie was is our superhero movies is a superhero appealing to more than just 12-year-old boys. I mean, we were the market mm-hmm. originally that yeah. that's that how hollywood and producers and analysts viewed superhero movies they were they would look at 12 year old boys and and adolescent boys and go these are the kinds of movies you make for them you make transformers you make spider-mans you make kind of corny superhero movies mm-hmm. for them for the adults you make these movies mm-hmm. and so It's cool that it was that cross-generational thing for you and me because that was the gamble that Sam Raimi and the producers took on this movie was they thought they could make a movie that would appeal to fathers and parents that watched Spider-Man or knew Spider-Man from when they were kids and then make it cool enough that you and I would go and sit Mm -hmm. and be amazed – by the amazing yeah. spider-man and so that's yeah that's that's really cool that they did nail that because yeah. that's something that i they i from the article that i read that they had talked about was like ooh, i don't know if this is gonna make any money
0: with the older crowd yeah and i think that was quickly found out that uh, it was going to be rather successful so some just straight facts about the movie the critics like this one rotten tomatoes 90 percent of critics gave it a thumbs up basically saying it's definitely worth your time on metacritic coming out with a score of 73 which in a film in this genre is incredible like 70 mm. and above is very good for movies in general but a superhero movie getting a 73 is solid Audiences don't know what you're doing here on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't know if there was like a just like this movement of like anti-Toby um or whatever, but somehow this thing only has 67% on Rotten Tomatoes. Dude, none of us with, knew how to use the fans. Effect. We were all on it
1: for 46 like,
0: minutes. So so here's here's the truth, man. Like I have not I have not talked to a person who was actually the right age when Spider Man came out, who didn't love these movies? The only people mm. I've talked to who diss Tobey Maguire Spider Man are younger Marvel fans, <laughs> yeah. Like whose yeah. whose first Marvel movie was you know Avengers or something, you know? Oh okay. Or, oh yeah, uh, if you, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You try and tell me an Andrew Garfield movie even comes close to a Tobey Maguire movie, I'll laugh you out the room. <laughs> um, Andrew Garfield though, good actor, uh, great, yeah. Uh, but Metacritic, the fans over there, liked it significantly more, giving it an 8 out of 10. CinemaScore people walked out of here are pretty pumped about it. It got an A-, IMDb, 7.4. These are all good metrics, but this is the metric that matters more than anything. How much money mm-hmm. did it make at the worldwide box office? In 2002, nonetheless, it made $821 million dollars. <laughs> And the domestic box office, $403 million. This, like, I remember this was talked about for weeks on end in, like, the nightly news that Mm -hmm. my parents would watch. Like, and Spider-Man, yet again, coming in on top of the box office. It's getting real close to Titanic, folks. Is it going to be able to overtake it? I don't know. So, you know, stuff (laughs) like that. But I remember, like, it was on all the time. Um, And I shouldn't talk (laughs) like that. No newscaster talks like that, but... Not anymore, but
1: <laughs> back then maybe. But, uh, dude, what's wild is that it doubled its money worldwide. Like, that's yeah. pretty insane that it it's added that much to it. So yeah. that, that usually doesn't happen. Like, it's, it's usually domestics where you make your money and then you kind of make a third of what you make domestically abroad. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they, you know, increased it a... Hundredfold is is really awesome and that's that's huge in two thousand two. I thought I I thought it would have busted through the uh the one billion uh worldwide. It's just I remember everybody talking about Mm -hmm. it. Like I didn't watch the nightly news like that, but like I just remember all my friends were talking about it. Like I owned the movie. That's what I wanted for Christmas or my birthday or whatever, whenever I got it, I wanted that movie. And I we watched the heck out of that thing too. So I, I am shocked that it honestly not shocked, but I'm surprised that it didn't hit that. So just that to mark. give
0: a little perspective here, the average movie ticket in 2002 was five dollars and sixty one cents. Uh, to give a little bit of context, so those were the days. That's a lot of ticket sales. That's like a yeah. ton of ticket sales. An average movie now I think is eleven bucks, uh, which you know that's yeah. crazy. Um. But it did well at the box office. But Zach, just give me like some general takes you have on this movie. Like, what are what are the things? If you could say like definitive statements about 2002's Spider-Man that you want the world to know, what would they be? I want people to know that Tobey Maguire is a great s- Spider-Man. I yeah. hate the hate
1: <laughs> that Tobey Maguire gets for for the Spider-Man, and I think it's because the third of this trilogy here is so bad that it overshadows unfortunately two really, really good movies. Mm-hmm. And Moody, Gothic, Toby Maguire, I feel like, is all people see when they think of the original Spider-Man trilogy. Mm-hmm. And I see him fighting bonesaw, And I see him swinging around in his makeshift outfit until Mm. he finally you know he sews somehow sews his own spider-man outfit and so this isn't like tony stark comes along gives him a sweet outfit like he made his outfit and it just felt so real and Mm. i i love Tomi mcguire in 2002 i was pumped when he won the best kiss award i he was was a big star at the time man he was a big star yeah he was huge huge star i thought he played a great spider-man in the sense that he did a great job of balancing a more tempered peter parker when he was peter parker and embodying the snarkiness and wittiness Mm -hmm. of spider-man it was almost like watching Kind of Batman in a way. Like where you have these two different personalities, just more pronounced with the Spider-Man. But I loved how he balanced those two. And I I think Toby Maguire is one of the I think he's the best Spider-Man. But I'm obviously a little biased. But I have seen all of these movies when they've come out. And so I think I reserve the right to say that I think Toby Maguire is the best. Spider-Man and the the best acted Spider-Man so
0: that's my first take first hot take mm-hmm. probably gonna upset a lot of Tom Holland fans but I mean it's definitely the most it's at least for like a wide range of audiences I think that just the most relatable portrayal right like mm-hmm. I think Andrew Garfield did a good job of like becoming the character but I feel like the movies were so mediocre that you were just not—you were just distracted by the mediocre plots. Didn't pay attention to the character development. I just i, I feel like Tobey Maguire just felt like the mm-hmm. the high school nerd who got superpowers, who continues to be a nerd and struggles through college, needs to get a job, needs to get paid. Like, you know, I'm—I I just found him to be the most relatable portrayal.
1: Yeah, and he did things in the movie too that. If you were a high school kid and you suddenly got superpowers, you'd be like, I I would do that. <laughs> yeah, like, but he like balances all the plates and stuff or in the <laughs> in the the cafeteria and like he dodges that punch. Mm-hmm. Like it was like, all that stuff. I'm like, yeah, of course, yeah. that's something I would do. Um, but my second hot take, my second hot take here is I think that this movie is a fantastic origin story. Mm-hmm. I think they I I get it that for a while there we had reboot after reboot after origins. St- I was getting tired of the Spider-Man origin story mm-hmm. reboot. Like it's like we don't need the same story over and over again. It's kind of like when they make a Superman movie. It's like mm-hmm. yes, we we know that he comes from another planet and then he grows up <laughs> in the middle of Kansas nowhere and he uh he come he's this you know small town guy that's mm-hmm. a the essentially a god so i i was i was getting i get the 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 fatigue but mm-hmm. i think this origin story is phenomenal um you get you know how he becomes spider man you get the repercussions like real repercussions they don't like kind of blaze through it in order to get to like the final battle between the bad guy in spider-man they take their time in developing a teenager that is turning into a spider essentially Mm -hmm. and then you get an incredible villain like the best villain for spider-man is the green goblin because it is this really personal villain Mm -hmm. and i do like the second of this this trilogy more i i like doc ock as a villain more but i think the personal relationship that Spider-Man has with Harry Osborne and oh man, I always forget his son's name. Um Harry's the son. You're Harry's thinking, the son you're, the Norman you're thinking Norman, Norman Osborne. Yeah. yeah. Norman Osborne and 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 Harry is is so complex and intertwined that you really feel it when all these characters are kind of torn between each other Mm -hmm. because you have Harry who loves his father. And then he, you have Peter who also loves Norman and it it admires him greatly, but it's such a well-developed dynamic between all the characters Mm -hmm. that you, you feel the pain of, you know, Peter when he has to finally fight and, and spoilers, but if you haven't seen this movie ends up killing Norman, at the end, yeah, you, you feel like, man, like, he really didn't want to do that. And then when Harry, at the very end, is like, "I am gonna kill Spider-Man, like what he did to my dad, you know, I'm getting my revenge." Mm-hmm. man, it's just such a powerful origin story. So one of my favorite origin stories of all time, if not one of the if not the best origin story. Um, So, those are my two hot takes. Tobey Maguire, best Spider-Man, and this is the best superhero origin story
0: to date. Nice, nice. I I like those takes. Best superhero origin story, Tobey Maguire, best Spider-Man. Holy cow, those are some hot takes. I am going to <laughs> jump in and back you up on, I actually like both those takes, but I am going to double down and say that Toby Maguire is just getting too much disrespect in the post like MCU world like just just imagine you know and I think it's because Spider-Man has been portrayed by different people but for me like Toby Maguire being Spider-Man is like like Stallone being Rocky you know like <laughs> yeah. like it just it goes hand in hand it works like toby maguire is peter parker it it just works even though other people have portrayed him you know like it just is an iconic character for our generation and maybe you know that's rose colored glasses but i just, every time i watch this movie i'm like i don't get what people hate maybe it's cuz he <laughs> maybe it's cuz you know he was playing you know an 18 year old kid as like a 30 some odd year old man i don't know um but, hey, man, I, I, I like how back in the day <laughs> that there was no shame of, like, casting people in their late 20s, yeah. early 30s as, like, high schoolers. Um, yeah. Like, for me, I remember growing up being like, oh, man, by the time I'm a senior in high school, I'm going to look like that. Then it came to my <laughs> senior year, and I still looked like a child. I was like, hey, what the heck? <laughs> you
1: still like you were 12.
0: What yeah. the heck happened? <laughs> but... <laughs> But uh, I I will say, uh, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, that this movie is, it's both a product of its time, but it also illustrates that smaller budgets of older films led to more impactful storytelling. Like, this movie you walk out of and you enjoyed, not because the set pieces were amazing, even though they were, but this tells, like, a legitimately like engaging story right like Mm -hmm. Peter is somebody who is such a relatable hero because he never gets it all right like like there's always sacrifice in being a hero and that is just you know when he gets his powers and life is going well he loses his uncle you know when it seems like hey maybe he's not going to be the nerd anymore loses his uncle He's a hero now. He's out of high school. doesn't have to deal with that drama. Now his best friend is dating the girl that he's loved his whole entire life. Yeah. And then on top of that, his best friend's dad is also like the arch villain of the story. So it's really a tragic story. And, and it's so tough because you know that in order for Peter to do the right thing, it's going to cause pain for him personally. But it doesn't stop him from doing the right thing. You know, he doesn't chicken out. He isn't a coward. He does what's right in the midst of, you know, knowing that it might cause him pain. And I've always just thought that that just makes this so relatable. And I think that the second Spider-Man is an even better story. Um, And I think sometimes, you know, with today, you see these huge budgets going into movies. And, you know, typically that's something that should get us, like, excited, right? They're spending so much money on it. But I feel like you know, a lot of times they don't deliver on story and they don't deliver on character and they don't deliver on the things that, you know, you really remember. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, lastly here, um, I'll say that this, I want to go back to something
1: you said though, real quick, because I think you, you mentioned something that's, it's worth kind of touching upon a little longer is it, his relationships in this movie and hi, his decisions as Spider-Man affect him personally as mm-hmm. as Peter Parker. And I think we kind of got away from that a little bit, yeah. with especially the Tom Holland Spider. It just always seemed like they were two different people and right. that it didn't really affect one or the other. And or at least it, it felt more distant. Mm-hmm. It wasn't this real intertwining of his personal life spilling over to the Spider-Man life and vice versa. And yeah, it, it like he was so, so, so concerned about his identity in the original Spider-Man and like, he's concerned about it as Tom Holland, but it just always seemed. And maybe because he was in the Avenger movies before he he got his Spider-Man movie, mm-hmm. but you just always felt like they were these two separate people and that like he kept his personal life here and people didn't really try and hurt the people that he loved. They just tried to hurt Spider Man, mm-hmm. like just tried to destroy Spider Man. Where in this one, it was like, no, they would hurt. Yeah, Mary Jane. They would hurt. Like Aunt May. They would mm-hmm. hurt anyone that they could figure out he was related to. They would, they would go after. And so yeah. I don't. Know, I thought I think that's important. I think that they like, kind of got away from that in the MCU.
0: Yeah. Well, the the MCU had basically took an approach from the very beginning from the end of the first iron man that they're gonna have masked off heroes right because you know end of iron man i am iron man and basically that was the approach going forward right thor can't really hide his identity he's a god um captain america steve rogers i mean he was propaganda in the 40s so he's a masked off hero um Bruce Banner is the Hulk. Public knowledge, public record, experiment gone wrong. Yeah. So there's no secret identities really with the Avengers. Um, and I think in the comics, the only one who really had secret identity out of those people would have been Bruce Banner, and I think Tony Stark for a time. Uh, but yeah, I do. I think I think the lack of the team ups just can't be as personal because it's a team, you know. Yeah. And we got excited about the team ups because of just how big the stories could be. But you know, they very rarely delivered on the characters, um, like the Spider-Man films did or the solo films. Did. Yeah. Um, but, but lastly, I do want to just kind of say here is like my final take is I think that this is the most, well, actually this is my lasting my lasting appeal. Uh, and then I'll kind of just transition out, let you close it up here. I believe this is the most important superhero movie that's come out in the last 20 Mm -hmm. years because it proved that it could work. Yes, there's been bigger ones. The Avengers movies have all been bigger. They've made bigger money, and people will probably remember them more. But... For every Lord of the Rings there's a Hobbit, right? There's always there's always a smaller story that made the grander story possible. And I think that Spider-Man was this first trilogy here was the kickoff into something really special. And you might even be able to mm. go back and say that X-Men even started it first, but I think it is the fact that both of these franchises worked, that we really are where we are today for better and for worse i feel like there's total burnout you know 20 years later at this point um of superheroes mm. but you know still one of the greatest cinema achievements of all time was the infinity saga and i think this was a huge catalyst in that success
1: yeah no i i definitely agree with that um for my last appeal, i'm gonna take the sam Rami approach here I think this really solidified him as a very dynamic and, a, oh, kind of a one of a kind director. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, first of all, incredibly hard to make just a movie,
0: mm-hmm.
1: any kind of movie. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly hard to make a horror movie. First of all, it's second of all, especially a, a, a successful franchise like The Evil Dead. It's one of the most iconic horror franchises in the genre and the what he did with that taking it from like a a serious student looking film to army of darkness campy funny silly with bruce campbell and then to go from that to a superhero movie and we've already talked about how hard it was to make a superhero movie in 2002 and Sam Raimi came on the scene, having come off of being a horror movie director, and jumped into a superhero movie with a franchise that had nothing to to show for. There was no MCU. There was, like we said, it was just, it was just X Men. Mm-hmm. There there was nothing there, and to come in and to make a movie that was being talked about. A f- Possibly surpassing Titanic as the highest grossing movie of all time, I think, tells the story of Sam Remy as a director, who I get is not a huge household name. Um, He's a guy that a lot of people don't really even know. Um, You know his work. You just don't know who he is. And I think that's sad because I think Sam Remy deserves a lot of credit. For the success of the mcu i mean he just made the the multiverse of madness mm-hmm. so he's still very active in comic and superhero movies um and then he also had a pretty successful ashen versus the evil dead um mm-hmm. series that you know it, it it kind of flew under the radar as most horror themed movies mm-hmm. or shows do but I think he's a fantastic director and I think this was a a moment for him that really proved the kind of director that he is, that he can balance genres, that he can go back and forth and blend different types of movies. And to me, that is a sign of a, a director that will go down in history as, as one of the great directors of yeah. all time.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I agree that it was uh... – just super impressive to see someone kind of go from a virtual unknown to making one of the mm-hmm. highest grossing movies ever made like that is yeah that's crazy mm-hmm. um, and just like it's it's crazy we, we had spider-man and p and peter jackson's lord of the rings coming out in like the same time period guys who just grew up total geeks like into this stuff and showing that hey like maybe these studios should listen to us because before this yeah. like studios didn't really listen to people who came with it from like a fan mentality it was like no you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna do what we want to do you know Mm -hmm. um yeah and and i think this was also like the beginning of embracing like okay maybe we need more fans making these adaptations then Mm. you know Mm. Yeah. yeah yeah i agree But uh, anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening today. We're going to head out for now, but be sure to head over to SteelLakeStudio.com. Get on the newsletter, see some of the things we got going on over there. And if you're interested at all in jumping in on the discussion with House of the Dragon or Rings of Power, I'm over there on YouTube a couple times a week now. We'll be super busy with a bunch of stuff going on, so be sure to pop in and say hello, and uh, we'll talk to you there when you arrive. But for now, we are signing out, and we'll talk to you next time on Parallel Quest. Bye-bye.